All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. I'm Raf Giallo alongside James McMahon, and we're getting a double helping of Jim McMahon today, actually, because he was on the podcast on Monday as we reflected on the Friday night Premier Division games. So today we're going to be looking um, ahead to the Women's National League and also looking back at last night's SSE or Tristy League games. And to do that, we're joined by uh, coach and analyst Lisa Fallon and former UCD and Shamrock Rovers man Paul Corey. Uh, welcome, one and all. How's it going? Hi, Raf. How are we doing? All good. Um, I believe it's the most important day, arguably, in the calendar, Jim McMahon, today, Pancake Tuesday. Yeah, uh, Pancake Tuesday, Shrove Tuesday. Um, I think it's called Pancake Tuesday because back in the day, it was a question of um, people getting all the goodies together before Lent, uh, before Ash Wednesday, and the 40 days of abstinence and all that. So, uh, There'll no doubt be a fair bit of flipping going on around the country today, and there'll probably be some features on pancakes uh, somewhere. But uh, it's uh, Tuesday, it's the 1st of March, and uh, I, I was just thinking, uh, was there anything of note that might have happened in the footballing world uh, on this day? And I, I think maybe the likes of, I think Dixie Dean, famous Everton player of Yorn, died on this day back in, I think, in 1980. And, um, but out from that, also as well, for completely irrelevant, uh, four years ago on this day, we had the beast from the east. Uh, you remember that, the beast from the east, uh, the big snow that happened yeah, four years ago? Yeah, I ago. remember that, yeah. Uh, so that's what happened uh, as well. Uh, it, it led to uh, some cancellations of the domestic football here in Ireland at the time, but it didn't last for too long and life did get back to normal. And afterwards and all that but look spring is here we'll be we'll be turning the clocks forward at the end of the month and hopefully good times and COVID is gone if we can get the business in Ukraine that's a, another different matter and quite worrying and serious but look I don't want to drift off into some other tangent we have other other things to talk about so but. yeah there was a as I said there's a full set of uh, SSE or Tristy League Premier Division games last night and uh, one thing actually what we were talking about yesterday Jim was that kind of difficult turnaround between the Friday and the Monday. And I suppose, Lisa, as a coach, um, how do you generally deal with that? Because this is happening quite early in the season. Yeah, I think um, it's uh, it's one of those aspects where you kind of come straight out of one game into the other. So it's really all about recovery because mm-hmm. and any knocks that you pick up in that game, you're, you know, you know, those players are not going to be available. But um, but I think at this stage of the season, it shouldn't be too taxing on the players. You know, they've just come out of fairly tough pre-seasons uh, you know they're training most of them are training on a full-time basis um you know so it's uh it's really you know the the second game on the Monday is means it's more about you because you get less time to kind of look at the opposition and stuff like that so it really is that when you've got those back-to-back games you really have to focus on yourselves and um, not, not that you wouldn't do that anyway um but it, it the hardest aspect of those back-to-back games is traveling. So if you're traveling on the Friday and you travel again on the Monday, that's the, that's the biggest difficulty for most League of Ireland clubs um, in terms of the time that you're spending, the players are spending on coaches, uh, because that definitely hinders the, the recovery, for sure. Yeah, and the Monday night results, just to read them out here, Shamrock Rovers 3, Drogheda 1, Bohemians 1, St. Pat's 0, Dundalk 3, Finn Harps 0, Derry City 0, Sligo Rovers 0, UCD 0, Shelburne 0. And uh, before we get stuck into Shamrock Rovers, we're just going to listen to Stephen Bradley uh, discussing Jack Byrne. And Paul Curry was at that game, so he has seen a bit of that magic. And if you're online, you'll probably, uh, well, we'll be playing out the goals here as well. You're going to see exactly what he got up to. But uh, let's listen to Stephen Bradley first. Yeah, you can see with every game or every minute he plays, he's starting to sharpen up in his head, and and um, he'll he'll only get better and stronger. Um, this is probably on his third or fourth competitive game he's played in a year, so um, he's still getting there. But like you said, when uh, he sees things very very early, and scored a cracker as well as making one. Yeah, fantastic strike! I was right behind it, and and you could see the movement on the ball. Their goalkeeper, to be fair, it, it moved at the last second on him. Uh, and then you took him off. Is that just to kind of look after him for a while? Yeah, we need to be careful. Like I said, this is probably his third or fourth competitive game in over a year. He had a knock coming into tonight. He got a knock on Derry. Um, so we, we were thinking about not starting him. Um, we obviously did. And then uh, at 2-0, I felt it was time to get him out. Yeah, and then you conceded. And then how worried were you? I just knew we could go a few more levels, a few more gears. Um, we, we 
to be fair to Drottle, he came into the game at that point, scored, and and we're in the game for five or ten minutes. But I, I knew we had we had a few levels to go, and and uh, thankfully we did, and and Graham got us the third goal. And that Derry defeat out of the system now. Yeah, we were never worried about it. when you watch the game back. Uh, the last twenty, twenty-five minutes, we were in full control of the game. It wasn't as if we were hanging on. Um, we made a mistake and we got punished, but it wasn't a performance that we were worried about. Um, when you look back and analyse it, we were we were okay. Disappointed to lose the game, but we were okay. We knew we were we were alright. Uh, okay, so that was Shamrock Rovers manager Stephen Bradley just discussing Jack Byrne. Um, great assist for the Sean Gannon goal, and then a brilliant goal on top of it as well as they went on to uh, draw the United 3-1. Paul, you were there, as I said, and uh, I mean, the assist, I think, was arguably better than the goal and the goal itself is magnificent. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Raf. I think, you know, the the execution for the first goal just picks up those little pockets of space in, be, in between Drahada's midfield and their back four and a lovely reverse pass. Most fullbacks would probably expect that to go wide out to Sean Gannon. He's just reversed it inside the fullback. And to be fair to Sean Gannon, um, you know, it was one of his sort of trademark fullback runs, but his touch across the defender was really good and a super sideful finish into the bottom corner. So, I mean, you, you hear Stephen Bradley there talking about Jack Byrne and, and how he's maybe only starting to get into, into gear now. He's, he's probably not struggling, but he's probably not as had as many competitive games as he would have liked over the last 12, 18 months. And you can just see in his play, Raph, there's moments that when he has the ball at his feet, he's able to thread passes through teams or he's able to find spaces or he's just able to execute at a different level than everybody else in this league, to be to be really frank about it. And uh, he was the difference, particularly on the night. I mean, Shamrock Rovers have an abundance of talent and, and they no doubt have better players. But just when you when you really analyse it and you narrow it down to fine moments, Jack Byrne was the difference. That pass for the for Sean Gannon's goal and then the strike for the for the second was just sublime. It was probably one of them where you could see he was sort of on it last night. And when he had the ball, his feet looked really comfortable. And when Andy Lyons fed that ball into him 20, 25 yards out, you just had a, it had a feeling of inevitability that it was going to go in. And the the clean, you know, he, he strikes the ball so clean and it moves so much that it didn't really give Colin McCabe much of a chance. I think on the whole, analysing the game, I think Stephen Bradley will want more from his side. It was important that they bounced back from the Derry defeat, like you mentioned. It was important they got back to winning ways. But I thought there was moments of play in the final third where they could have tidied up and, and maybe not cough up possession as much or maybe not force the ball as much. And it just, it feels like between Mandrew, whether it's Dylan Watts or Richie Tell, Jack Byrne, whether it be Aaron Green or Roy Gaffney, they're just looking for that recipe still uh, about how they fit them all in. And I've no doubt that once they do, they'll certainly go up through the gears, but probably a, a performance last night where they didn't need to get out of second or third gear because there was just such a difference in quality between the two sides. Mm. And concerns for Drada United. I mean, they've had a lot of change in the off-season. Uh, Kevin Doherty is in as manager now. Obviously, Tim Clancy departing and a number of key players going. And it's been a difficult start. Obviously, they've only played two two games, but uh, I suppose there are question marks about where they're going to be at the end of the season. It's expected to be in the lower reaches. I, I would imagine so. And your heart would almost go out for them with the, with the amount of change that they had. They had such an amazing season last year. And to lose Tim Clancy and then to lose a number of key personnel that were part of that journey last year must have been really difficult because I'm sure they would have been looking to use that as their foundation this season. On the basis of, of last night's performance, I caught snippets of the Shells one as well. You would have to imagine that it's going to be a bit of a slog. Uh, the games against Shamrock Rovers are probably not going to be the ones that are going to decide where they end up at the end of the season. You're looking at the likes of Finn Harps, UCD and Drahada being those three teams that will probably battle it out down the, down the foot of the table. Their home form will, will be important. It's, it's never an easy place to go. And if they can get a bit of a crowd in behind them, you'll expect that's where they're going to pick up the majority of their points. But on the basis of the first two games that they've had, it, it does look like it could be an up, a bit of an uphill battle. Yeah, you mentioned Tim Clancy there. Now, a second defeat in a row for St. Pat's, losing at Bohemians uh, last night by a 1-0 margin. So we're just going to listen to um, to Tim Clancy, who was speaking to Siobhan Madigan, and also to Trevor Crawley, the Bulls' assistant manager. Uh, Tim, certainly not the results you came from, and probably not the performance either. Uh, no. Um, uh, we analysed Bowles in the game against, obviously, Dundalk, and um, they're very good in the transition when... They win the ball back. They're very, very uh, dangerous when they commit bodies forward at a quick pace, and we realised that. And first half, we really caused ourselves the problems by giving it away in bad areas. And 
spoke about the importance of the first goal in the game and the goal we conceded is absolutely horrifically bad in our behalf. Straight ball down the middle. Um, it's something that happened against Sligo as well that we're going to have to address massively. Um, not dealing with balls down the middle of the park and it's certainly not good enough. You never really got into the groove yourself though, couldn't find your, your rhythm at all in the middle of the park. No, we didn't uh, create very much at all and that's the frustrating thing. So, um, yeah, a lot, a lot to work on now before a massive game of Friday. You don't get too much time to, to work on much, you know, two games in, in three days and then you're straight into a big game of Friday again. Yeah, well, all the games are going to be massive. So, um, again, we can't be sitting there feeling sorry for ourselves. More or less at the bounce back straight away. And we'll be doing a hell of a lot of work now between now and Friday um, for another huge game. It's Rovers on Friday. They don't, they don't get bigger tests than that, I suppose. No, but again, uh, we played in the President's Cup. Uh, we've seen what Rovers are like the last few seasons. They've been very, very strong. We know that's going to be another very tough game on Friday, but um, it's something I want to have to be prepared for. Trevor, a nice three points for a Monday night. Yeah, lovely three points for a Monday night. Um, would have been even even nicer if we had got three on Friday. But um, yeah, I think the, the, the performance was better. It was an improved performance. Um, we dug in, we showed some resilience. So yeah, very positive three points. Took it to them from the start and probably should have had another few goals. Yeah, we had chances. Stephen had a great chance at the back post. It was probably the best chance of the game, I think, in the, in the first half that I can remember. Um, great, we kept a clean sheet, very, very positive. Kept Pat's a really good Pat side to, to, to kind of minimal chances. Did one shot there at Bourne, so I can remember in the second half. First half, I can't remember too much. So, so that was very positive. Yeah, good, good, good defensively, and, and, and I think we've improved. We improved on Friday, attacking wise. Yeah. And good to get Stephen among the goals early on in the season because he's the kind of player that really kick on from it. Yeah, it's great. It's great for Stephen. He's had a tough time with injury. It took us a long time to get him up and running and get himself up and running. Um, so it's really nice for him to score the, the winning goal for us tonight. It's a, it's a reward for all the work he does or ha he has done off the pitch. And after missing out the first week's action to get four points in three days, you know, it really gives you a fill up now going on that long trip again to Harps this weekend. Yeah, it's a, it's a great three points and it's a lovely three points, but that's the thing. Friday now we've another chance for another three, so we've got to get after that. It'll be, you know, come Friday night we need to have this feeling that, we, that we've taken three points. That's what you want to do. All right, that was Bowles assistant manager Trevor Crawley and before that St. Pat's manager Tim Clancy. I suppose on Pat's first, um, Paul, um, Obviously, they were coming off the back of a bad defeat to Sligo Rovers on the Friday, and one would imagine, given the strength in their squad, as much changed as it is, that they would bounce back to some degree. But already, very early on, um, Tim Clancy finds himself under pressure, especially with a big game against Shamrock Rovers to come. Yeah, that is going to be a massive game. I think what Tim will take confidence in is, is the President's Cup final against Shamrock Rovers. I thought they were really impressive when they played out in Tala that night, and he'll be looking for more of the same from that performance and also the Shelburne performance in the opening game. The, the concern I would have about Pats is, and, and Tim kind of touched on it there in his, in his post-match interview, is just the, the back four. I thought it was a really, really sloppy goal. Last night to concede, Scott really needs to go and address the ball. He lets it hop once or twice and Stephen Mallon takes advantage of it. And what you can't have, Raf, is you can't have, particularly the way Pats plays, is try to be really progressive and create chances and then get done by one long ball. It, it just it kills all momentum and it kills all sort of um, confidence you have from, from building up play when you know that potentially you're going to be coughing up chances. Paddy Barrett is to come back in, into that back four and he will be pivotal to that. Given this, given the fact that uh, they've lost Lee Desmond out of out of that defensive unit, so that is certainly one area that you would look for for St. Pat's to tidy up on. But like I mentioned in, in the Presidents Cup final in particular, I thought they were really impressive and against shells. And if they can get Owen Doyle firing, if they can get Dara Burns off one side coming in and contributing to to goals and chances in that final third, you would expect that the, that that they will pick up. It is a bit of a transition period with, with Clancy going in there. It's going to take a bit of time for things to gel and for things to stick. But you would like to see them just start to put a few more points on the board because even if they got out of daily mount last night with a point, you start off from your first three games with four points. You take a bit of confidence. What you don't want to do is, is to get into a habit of, of losing games. And that would be the concern from St. Pat's that maybe they just look a bit of a soft touch at the back at this moment in time. And maybe that's something that needs to be addressed. And Lisa, that kind of defensive work that needs to be done, done on the training ground, obviously there was a very quick turnaround, as we were um, saying, between the Friday and Monday. They have a few more days before they face um, Shamrock Rovers. Like, How quickly can issues like that be fixed? They have to be fixed quickly. <laughs> that's the nature of it. And that's, that's the pressure that's on the top teams. 
um, and players who are playing in those teams, you know, it, there is pressure and, and that's why there is um, because of the expectations that are on you. Um, so, and look, the, the thing about, and I'm always hesitant at this start of the season to, you know, overanalyze or over-criticize teams because it does take a little bit of time for teams to gel and particularly when you have games Friday, game Monday, you often see a little bit of rotation in the team. Um, some And listen, like there's some players that are missing and it does take time. And it's, it's, it's a funny one with the League of Ireland because each team and every club has so much change every off season. Um, and it really like, you know, I know myself from working at Cork City and at Galway, like it's, it's like, it's a new team every year. And then if you have a managerial change as well, it takes time to embed your philosophy because like pre-season games are all well and good. But once you go into the heat of battle in a competitive game, it's a completely different animal. The pace of the game, the tempo, the crowds, the expectations, you know, it's, it's just a different animal. But it does take a, a few games. I think it takes five, six, even seven games for a team to find their rhythm. And only then do you do you know where you're going to be in the early stages of the season you just need to pick up as many points as you can um, but there will be I'm sure Tim will have little things that he'll he'll look to work on um, and, and you know yes you get that time on the training ground and, and look to be fair today the, the day after the game is always going to be a recovery day you're not getting much done there if anything it's you may be looking back on performances maybe a bit of video um but the majority of it is recovery but um which means then you've probably only got one more session on the pitch thursday if the players are getting wednesdays a day off so you know you do not get a huge amount of time to work on these things particularly when you've got the midweek game but um but like i said i would be reluctant to look over analyze things at this stage it's only three games in two games in for some of the teams um so it does take a time a little bit of time for teams to settle and just find that rhythm can you ever see the day that maybe in this league that there will not be such upheaval in squads i think between the end of a season and the start of the next season like it's almost as if every team maybe with the exception of shamrock rovers who i think only brought in two well obviously jack came back that it's it's almost starting from scratch every year. I mean, yeah, and that's a difficulty. It's it's a massive, massive difficulty. But again, it comes back to the off the pitch stuff. Until that side of the house is in order and we're able to give players proper contracts, um, and there's you know enough stability and you know in the clubs and their run as proper business models and this goes like this isn't just down to managers like I mean this is down to people who are running clubs the onus is on them to make sure that you can give players a little bit of longevity and you know I know up in Derry obviously there's great investment now and, and you know you're they're talking about four-year contracts up there like that's mm -hmm. where we need to be um and you know a one-year contract here and there is you know there's no stability in that and you can't it's very difficult to build a team that because really in year one it's not really your team in year two it's becoming your team realistically year three is yeah but that's that's with sustaining players and keeping the spine and adding the layers and and, and those little bits. So it does take time. And that's what's that's what makes it difficult, more difficult in the League of Ireland for teams to have sustained success. And that's why I think it's no coincidence that Shamrock Rovers have won back-to-back -back yeah. and will be favourites for this one because of the stability and because of the strength and depth in the squad that they have and the, yeah. the consistency that's there, both off the pitch in terms of mm -hmm. the managerial setup but on the pitch in terms of the squad and the depth. And Stephen this year has just cherry-picked what he needs to add to make them better. Um, not You're not losing players and, and going, well, we just need to try and be, be as good as we were last year. You know, yeah. Stephen has that luxury of being able to cherry-pick to make them better. And he's the only manager in the league this season, I think, that's been really able to do that. Maybe with the exception of Sligo to an extent um, and Derry. Yeah, like Sligo, I think they brought in three or four players, Derry likewise again, but it's almost, as a supporter, you, you feel like every season you have the legs cut from under you because I'm coming to the first game of the season. And Just it's always, me as a coach, you do yeah, as well. <laughs> I know, like, I mean, like, I'm sure for you as well, you know, so. Yeah. I, think, I think on that as well, James, like, don't get me wrong, all the clubs want to be able to hand in three and four-year contracts, like Lisa's saying, she's, she's spot on. 
if you're not including them in your squad moving forward and they, you, you know, your best players always get cherry picked to move to the next level. At least if you have them tied down to three or four year deals, you're able to command better fees when it comes to, you know, a transfer negotiation or whatever that might be. And then those extra funds you're able to reinvest into the squad. So Lisa's spot on. It's of course difficult to get to that situation, but when you do, it just enables clubs as organizations just to plan so much more strategically. Yeah. Jim, you were over at um, Daily Mount on Friday, so yeah. they started off with a draw and now they've um, they've added a, a, a victory in a Dublin derby against Pats on top of it, so it's a, relati- it's a relatively good start given all the upheaval, and we're talking about upheaval here in general in the league, but Bowes had a lot of it since the, since the cup final, again, I guess the word revenge and everything given who they were playing against will probably come up yeah. but it's kind of it's kind of irrelevant because very few players from that final were actually on the pitch last night that's right yeah and those that were on the pitch from that final the likes of uh, Coot and uh, you know played quite well uh, but for Bose you know I was a bit worried about them on Friday night because I thought for the last half an hour against Dundalk it was Dundalk who were uh, setting the tempo. It was Dundalk who were spraying the ball around in midfield. It was Dundalk who were physically stronger and more imposing in that crucial last half an hour. But on, I didn't see last night's game, but by all accounts, it was, I mean, Pat's kind of kind of faded away late on and uh, it was Bose who finished strong. And they're four points out of six and they head to Finn Harps on this weekend coming. So like, I mean, they'd be, you know, they'd be, quite confident of adding, adding to that tally. Yeah, and uh, very quickly on Dundalk, um, who were playing bowls uh, on Friday, um, obviously they beat Finn Harps 3-0, not, not the perfect performance, but uh, Paul, uh, Stephen Bradley, and not that Stephen Bradley, this is the one with the V that's coming from Scotland <laughs> uh, on loan from Hibs. Um, this is four goals in three games. Um, he's a great addition to them, clearly. Yeah, and you can just look at the way he's taken some of his goals, Raph, as well. You, you can tell that he's got a real sort of knack when he's in that final third and composure in front of goal that he knows how, how, to, how to score. I spoke to one or two of the lads who I'd still know within the league who were actually uh, playing up in Dundalk at this moment in time, and they they earmarked him as somebody to look out for early on, even before the season had kicked off. So he's obviously shown things in, in training, and he's shown things in the first three games that he, he's got a, a, a decent level to him. And it, it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a lottery sometimes when you take players from outside the league that that aren't, I guess, really accustomed to to our clubs and to our grounds and and how I guess the style of football differs maybe to what it is they're used to. But this is somebody who's clearly hit the ground running, and uh, somebody that Stevie O'Donnell will be certainly leaning towards to to contribute as much as he has or to continue contribute goals moving forward. But even if you take the goals away, just little clips and, and his control of the ball and the way he manipulates the ball, he certainly looks as somebody who, who we can look out for over the, over the coming weeks and months. Yeah, and Lisa, you were watching Derry City and Sligo Rovers and there would have been expectation about this game given the fact that both had good wins on the Friday and then it ends up, <laughs> I suppose it's the way life goes generally, you build something up and then it always ends up uh, disappointing. So it ended up being a nil-nil last night. But in terms of positives or negatives that either side can take, uh, what did you notice? Yeah, well, I think I was kind of on the fence because I made the decision last night I wanted to to watch um, on, on the LOI TV. So um, I... Uh, when I saw the team sheets and I saw that Patrick McElhenney was starting, uh, that kind of was was the one, the hook. And, and obviously with the two of them getting such big wins uh, on Friday night, yeah, a massive crowd in the Brandywell again. Um, but it was a little subdued. I don't know if it's the Monday night or if it was just so cold or whatever. But the atmosphere just seemed a little bit flat. Um, but again, just watching Brandon Cavan and Will Patching and McElhenney, some of the combination play is just it's just so nice to watch, you know. Um, and and they they bring quite a lot of creativity and dyne, they're a dynamic team, you know. And um, they, they, I think you know, as, and you know, they've more players to come back in. So I think and Derry, like I've said it before. Derry always used to be a really, really hard place to go. Um, and then there was a bit of a, I, I, I don't like to say a softness, but you could go to the Brandywell and get points and expect to get points up there. And I think it's going to change. That's going to really change this year. Um, I think there's a bit more steel about them. There's a bit more quality, a bit more depth. But again, I think they, they're they another team that have a lot of really good players. Um, you know, I think Rory 
has great ideas. I like his philosophy. You know, they want to move the ball quickly. They try to restart the game quickly. They try to keep the tempo really high. Um, and they, they look to play out from the back and, and build through the third. So I think Derry are going to be a nice team to watch. Um, but again, I think they're a team that are going to take a few games to find their rhythm and just to, to, to get the flow because they have players to integrate into the team. But from a Sligo perspective, you know, I, I thought Sligo were... Were, were decent um, they were you know they started the game on fire then Derry kind of just absorbed the pressure and then Derry got a foothold in the game but to be fair to Sligo they had a massive chance um, to, to, to score Alan or uh, Cawley David Cawley had a cracking chance off the, smashed mm. it off the crossbar um, but I think a worry for, for Sligo will be that Greg Bulger went off injured um, I think that could be a problem for them because um, Greg is such a big player for them. Uh, Niall Morhan came on um, in his place. but um, And actually, do you know what? Another player that really impressed me last night was Owen Toll. I was so impressed with him, even from a centre-back position, the amount of times he was up in the box. You know, he was getting on the ball. He was out wide at times, crossing the ball in. So he's obviously been give, given a license to get forward and add to the attack. Um, and, and that's there was something quite nice about the way Derry are trying to play. Um, and again, I think there's a, a toughness and a steeliness about them that hasn't necessarily been there before. And again, another massive crowd in the Brandywell. Um, I've got high expectations for Derry this year, I'll be honest. Yeah, sorry, Lisa, do you think they're... Sec, obviously second favourites would that be a, a tag you know in terms of they're, they're the team behind Shamrock Rovers if, I know it's only what three games in I, I think Rory Higgins wouldn't thank me for it but I think yes I, I think based mm. on the quality they have in the squad and the depth I think Rory will absolutely talk it down this year but um, I was very impressed with them on Friday night um, again and it was a different type of game last night they'd be disappointed not to score or, and not to, to win that yeah. game um, but um but yeah, I, I think, you know, over the course of the season, as they gel, I think they're going to become a serious animal in this league. Yeah, I also thought as well, before he went off, Greg Bulger, I thought, had a great game for Sligo. And, and he will be a big loss uh, yeah. for Sligo. And, and, and I don't, yeah. Greg doesn't go off in games. No. You know, we had him down at Cork and, you know, Greg is a, Greg is a tough nut. takes a lot for Greg to go off in a game. Um, so I ho hopefully from Sligo's perspective, yeah. he's, that there's not much in that. And it was more precautionary um, that he had a knock and they just took him off. It, it actually just looked like he couldn't continue. Yeah, which is, and also as well, I think the Sligo keeper, McGinty, he's, he's been showing good form for the last couple of years and that yeah. seems to be continuing now in, into this season. And he put yeah. in a decent shift last night. Yeah, he did. He did. He was he was good. Like he commands his box and he's brave. And, you know, sometimes some of his decisions, I worry, has he been too brave? But mm -hmm. um, but no, he is. He's good. And um, I think he's he again, another young keeper. He's going to grow and grow and grow. And and obviously had Murphy in, in for um, Derry. And I think it's going to be an, a big season for him this year because at Bray, obviously, he garnered a huge amount of respect for his shot stopping, which is, I remember he frustrated us a couple of times when I was there with Galway last year, you know, mm. the worldy of a game. Um, but um, but I think Derry, the way Derry play, will ask more questions of him in terms of his distribution. And I think that's an element of his game that he needs to develop. Um, and I think teams who press high um, will we'll sniff around that and will test him. So I think for him, that's going to be his biggest challenge and his development opportunity this year is based on the way Derry are playing and building from the back, that he's going to have to be able to absorb and take passes back um, under pressure. Um, so, um, so a bit of growth for him. And again, I think it's still taking him a little bit of time maybe to gel with the way they're, they're trying to play. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think I've high expectations for Derry this year. Okay. Yeah. No and, pressure. No yeah. pressure. And uh, I don't know if it's pressure issues in the Shelburne or the UCD Shelburne game, but the sprinkler system malfunctioning <laughs> later on in the game, and also a bit of a dampener in terms of results. And yeah, that is that is a pun, and I apologise. But uh, also another nil nil. We might just listen quickly to Damien Duff, uh, who was reacting to it because they've had a few ups, ups and downs since the season began. The positives, uh, definitely, but. After that, I'm not sure what else there was tonight. Uh, yeah, listen, great picking up a point, but just the performance, that's the, the bit that's got me. Uh, started off really well, 10, 12, 15 minutes. I thought, right, yeah, we're on it, here we go. And um, 
I don't know whether just a lack of patience, calm came into the game then, and we just never got it back. Do you think a lot of that's down to the fact you played three games in just a little over a week? Uh, I don't think so, no. I think they're really fit guys. Um, I said to them after there, I refused to even ask you whether you retired. Um, we are big as a team and as a club, just playing simple football and everything tonight was just confused. They took the simplicity out of their game. That's why they've done well throughout pre-season and started off well in the season. And uh, I said that was lost tonight. Another few days to sort it out before Derry and uh, a big test at home. Uh, yeah, listen, we can't wait. Um, obviously back at Talca Park, um, one of the supposed t contenders for the league. So, um, yeah, listen, really looking forward to it. But said tonight we're all going disappointed at home uh, and again not as much because of the point or three or lack of three points because I know it's hard to win games in this league it's just a manner of the performance Alright that was Shelburne manager Damien Duff speaking to LOI TV after that nil-nil draw against UCD last night Paul a bit of a missed opportunity for them especially after getting that first win of the season on Friday Yeah 100% Raph and I think Damien would have wanted to, to build a bit of momentum with back-to-back with -back wins. Uh, you know, you could hear in his interview there, he will take the positives in the sense that that is now another clean sheet off the back of the, the Drogheda game, which gives them a good foundation going forward. Particularly, there would have been a couple of question marks after getting beaten 3-0 on the opening day of the season. But you can, you can hear in his voice there, he's frustrated more so with the performance that it didn't really seem to go to plan. Um, you, you can hear that he wants to play a simple game. He wants to play through the thirds. Simple is good, but simple isn't always easy. Uh, was something that somebody said to me before, and it's a, it's a really good point. So, uh, you know, he's going to want his team to be progressive. I worked with Damien at Shamrock Rovers. He, he wants high intensity. He wants to move through the thirds. He wants movement. He wants his team to be dynamic. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you go to the bowl, it's such a big pitch. It can lack atmosphere. Maybe that kind of found its way into, into their performance and maybe they just couldn't really click into gear. And, uh, yeah, it, it's a bit disappointing. But I think off the back of the patch result in the first week of the season, he probably would have taken four points from the next two games. And that certainly gives some confidence to, to build upon. And like Lisa mentioned, with, with a number of clubs in our, in our league, there's a hell of a lot of change at, at Shelburne this year, both in personnel and in management. So it's going to take a while before they really click into gear. So, yeah, maybe a bit of a missed opportunity, but I don't think you'd be all too disappointed with how, how the start has gone off the back of the, the first week. And Lisa, just UCD and Finn Harps very quickly before we uh, move on to previewing the Women's National League. Um, again, it's the expectation for both clubs was it was going to be a difficult season and they're going to be battling near the bottom. Um, those concerns obviously haven't really gone away. No, <laughs> um, and they won't. I think, you know, I think the, the bottom of the table will be as tough as the top of the table this year. Um, and I think, you know, Finn Harps, we know, are such a, an experienced team at being able to just ride out the storm and find a way. And Ollie's so streetwise and he's, you know, he's shrewd. Um, there'll be games that they won't win, but he'll know the games they have to win. And, and Ollie, the thing about trying to survive is that sometimes you have to focus on getting the points that you, you can get and putting a, more of a focus on them. And then obviously anything and certain games you'll go into that they will be a bonus. I think Ollie will be disappointed with that performance last night. Um, and again, you know, but, but, but Dundalk is and always is a difficult place to go. But um, I think... Paul's made a really good point there about UCD this season. Um, and, you know, there won't necessarily be big crowds there. And, and teams, we can see the crowds like, you know, in Daily Mount last night, up in the Brandywell, in, in Rovers, in Pats, like all the, all the grounds are, 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 you know, they're packed this year and it's brilliant to see. And that's going to be a challenge because I know last year when we were playing in front of no crowds, how and then when we got the crowds back in at the end of the season, the difference it made in terms of performance levels. Now, number one, it can inhibit players a little with, with the, the crowds that are there and the pressure, but I think players feed off. You feed off the crowd, you feed off the energy. Every ball that's coming in, you get a gush from the crowd and a, you know, a little a little signal as to you know there's danger or there's an opportunity and that's a huge huge part of the game and I think you know over the years with Cork City when we went to Belfield and even with Galway last year 
one of the things you have to prepare for going to, to Belfield is that you don't allow the lack of atmosphere to suck the life out of the tempo of your game. You really have to take ownership of maintaining the tempo and the momentum of your game. And that's one of the biggest challenges, I think, of playing in a ground where there's no fans or there's a small crowd. Um, and that is something that will play massively in UCD's favour. Um, and that's what I said earlier, you know, when you talk about teams, you know, taking your eye off the ball or going into a game expecting, oh, we should win this one. You can't do that with any any team because every team, you, you know, Finn Harps, UCD, Drogheda, you know, and and, and Shells, if, if, you know, if they end up in that. But every team has its nuances and has its difficulties and its challenges like Bally Buffet is a hard place to go <laughs> regardless. And, and, you know, no team enjoys going there because of how difficult Finn Harps are to play up there. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think the teams we probably expected to be there about and in the battle will, will, will be there. Um, but um, yeah, I, you know, it's at this stage, it's just every point matters because at the, come the end of the season, every point you have, will be so important. So you mentioned uh, every point making a difference. I think that was definitely the case for last season's Women's National League, the way it ended that very dramatic ending with Shelburne uh, winning the title on the final day with a turnaround. I don't think anybody expected and yeah. United United kind of losing out. Um, obviously, this, this season's a 10-team um, season's kicking off this weekend with Sligo Rovers, uh, the new team. But I suppose to start at the very top, Shelburne have lost a couple of players, which is probably going to be a bit of a blow. P-Mount, um, for all that happened at the end of the, the season, their goal difference was markedly better than everybody else. So does it look like it's going to be P-Mount maybe getting revenge this season, especially with the added motivation of uh, trying to make up for the way things ended last time out? Yeah, for sure. I think Shells and P-Mount will still be there or thereabouts. I think, yeah, like you said, Shells have lost a couple of players. Sir Noonan's gone over to Durham. Um, you know, and it is, it's it's a problem for the Women's National League. Every player that looks good ends up going across the pond. So, you know, I think even from a National League, a Women's National League point, you know, we have to start thinking about contracts for players and, you know, being able to hold on to the players or at least get something for the development of these players. And that's going to be a huge and I think a very immediate challenge for the FAI um, in terms of how they deal with that that issue. But yes, I think you can't see beyond Shelburne and, and Piedmont, but I, I honestly think Wexford will be there or thereabouts. Yeah, I, I, was, going to, I was going to bring them up because obviously yeah, no, they, they, they won the cup and they, they weren't were that brilliant. far away. Yeah, yeah they weren't they that were far brilliant. away. Yeah. They were brilliant in the cup final. And I tell you, there's a bit about Wexford. They, there's a lovely bite and personality in that team. And they've but they've they've got big personalities in terms of the players, but as a team, they have a personality. And I love that about Wexford. And you know, I think we probably see a big year for Ellen Malloy this year. I mean, she's just exquisite to watch. Um but, you know, the better she gets, you, again, it comes back to how long will she be here. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, I think Wexford will definitely have a say in it this year and more of a say than they had in it last year. Um, and I think Shells and, and P-Mount, you can't really, you know, they're always going to be there or thereabouts. But I think it'll be a tougher battle. And I, I would also think, you know, I think Galway have recruited well. I think there's a, pre like Galway, you know, Galway were the ones that stirred the pot on the last day of the season. You know, they had this unbelievable performance and completely caught P-Mount by, by surprise. So I, I think Galway are, are a growing entity and, and I think this could be a big year for them as well. Um, I think Bowes have recruited quite well as well. They've brought in the likes of Katie Burdis, Sinead Taylor assigned from Wexford Youths. You know, Sinead is, is, is a serious player and she's she can score goals. So I think she's going to be a big signing for, for Bowes this year. Um, and then obviously Sligo, um, will be a bit of an unknown entity. Um, you know, like the, the, the likes of Emma Hansbury in there, um, Emma Doherty, who's an Ireland under 19 international. Um, you know, I think Kristen Semple is, is, is in. She's joined from Cork City. So um, I think this year could be probably a difficult year for Athlone and maybe Cork City um, treaty. Interesting to see how they are this year, you know. Um, 
Well, they've a new manager as well, don't they? And Donna Reardon. Yeah, that's so. what I'm saying. Like, yeah. so you know, some of the teams are like, and Galway have had a change of manager as well, and you know, so I think they're again, it's it's the same problem for the women's national league that you have in the, the in the mm-hmm. league of Ireland is the the turnover. Um, so but Shelburne and Peamount and Wexford Youths have that bit of stability and that bit of consistency that the other teams certainly won't and don't have. Although to be fair to DLR Waves, they're another team that's growing um, and they, they had a, a you know pretty strong finish to last season. So I think DLR Waves could have a little bit of, I think they'll have a say in where it goes at the end, but it won't be, I don't think they'll be contenders, but I think the points that they take from teams could be, could have an impact on, on the end of the season. But um, but yeah, listen, I think there'll be high expectations on the league again to kick on this year. I think it's absolutely fantastic to see that Sligo Rovers have a team. I think, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I think you can't be considered a top club in this country if you do not have a women's team in the Women's National League. But I think we have to be serious. I think if we are serious about football in this country, every top League of Ireland club must have a senior women's team. Um, and we have to start to look at even making it semi-professional at the start and, and using that as the foothold. But, you know, the men's and women's club teams should be this, a singular entity within the, the, the each club um, and not, oh, they're part of us, but they're not really. You know, we have to get away from that. Um, but I think because the teams that do it and bring them together, um, will uh, like will will reap the rewards and the investments and the the commitment to infrastructure and and development that you put in now is going to you know have a massive impact and you know the way the Champions League the Women's Champions League is growing and prize money and stuff like that these things are going to start to make a big difference so the team that qualifies for the Champions League and gets into those games um, are going to have a, a serious financial um, advantage so. Um, and there's a big opportunity for clubs, I think, yeah. to take women's football seriously. And, yeah, and just on your yeah, sorry, just on your point on the Champions League, because it's something Vera Powell was talking about recently in regard to there isn't like a like we're talking about a second having a second tier in the domestic league here, but there isn't really a second tier fallback option like there is the Europa League in men's football. And she was making the point that you know whether it's a P Mount or Shelburne, you know if they get that like whatever it is four hundred thousand prize money it opens up a massive gap between teams. And is that something else you kind of feel needs to be addressed? It does. It does. And and that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why I think teams need to take that seriously um, because the opportunity is there. And, but on the other side of it, I think, you know, teams that are not affiliated to League of Ireland clubs could ultimately struggle. And because I think if League of Ireland clubs are women's teams that are associated with um, League of Ireland clubs and, and, you know, connected, if they get the Champions League places, it's going to be harder for teams that are not or don't have a partnership or a relationship to um, to maintain their status in the game. Um, so the pressure on the likes of P-Mount will, be, will become tougher to, to maintain that champion. And to be fair to P-Mount, they have been incredible in terms of leading the lights for women's football in this country. You know, their women's teams and the girls' teams always, you know, you were never a second-rate citizen at that club. Um, their facilities are incredible. Um, and great testament to them when women's football wasn't sexy in this country, P-Mount were doing it and they were doing it really, really well. And also they are the first Irish club to qualify for the group stages um, in European football. So, um, you know, I think P-Mount will be aware of that growing pressure um, and, and that challenge to compete um, with League of Ireland clubs as the women's game develops. But, um, but yeah, I think, look, P-Mount... Wexford um, and Shells, I think the winner of the league this year will come from those three. Yeah, and in fact, I think statistically Wexford actually had more um, more uh, players in the team of the year at the end com- uh, c- compared to P-Mount and Shells combined, which was actually remarkable that they're finishing third and uh, the other two were kind of ahead, but it's Wexford that kind of have the individual uh, the kind of individual dominance. But um, Jim, very quickly, you always have your ear to the ground in Sligo, I'm sure. Um, what's the general mood there and the, I suppose the sense of excitement with a new team coming in? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a definite sense of excitement. I think the mood, Raph, would be one of it could be difficult for them going in this first year. Uh, 
you know, uh, and they certainly have a certainly have a difficult start next Saturday. Uh, but they've, um, I think they only named their manager, Steve Feeney, last December. I think he was appointed on the 15th of December. Uh, he played for Sly Growers. He worked under Paul Cook uh, when Cookie was manager there at the, at the start of the last decade. And um, they've signed a few players from Donegal and they've, um, there's a few players who, uh, from Donegal and uh, there's a player, oh yes, Kristen Sample. Uh, she's from the States. I think uh, she was with Cork last season. Uh, look, I mean, I think, look, I think there's a sense of excitement up in Sligo anyways, because obviously the men's team have, you know, they're playing in Europe this year and there's plans ahead in 2028 for a new stadium. And as Lisa pointed out, I think that's, this other point in in the block is having a senior women's team competing in the in the um, league in this country as well. So uh, the sense that I'm getting from um, it's great, but uh, this season ahead could be could be tough for Sligo. Yeah, but it's definitely going to be an exciting season anyway at, at yeah. both ends of the table anyway, especially with uh, as Lisa said. Uh, P Mountain Shells and Wexford probably joining yeah. the party as well. Now, yeah. um, Lisa, you were on co-commentary on Sunday for the Women's FA Cup game, and I'm laughing because I know exactly what's coming up here. Um, so that was uh, Arsenal beating Liverpool 4-0, but to be honest, the only thing we were talking about afterwards, and if you're on Twitter, you've probably seen the goal uh, at some point, but Katie McCabe, Ireland's captain, fantastic, uh, scoring an incredible goal. I mean, um, and this one to, to yourself, Lisa, and to Paul, I mean, the technique. It's unbelievable. It's a Paul Scholes-esque. Yeah, I think, you know, watching it, <laughs> you know, I, I, and I, I actually said on the day, I think we should make sure that we never, ever take her for granted how good she is um, because that strike, and I mean, like, you see other goals she scored this season, like she could, like she seriously could have a goal of the season contender list on her own um, with some of the strikes she's had. But the, the technique just to hit it with the power, um, the speed, the accuracy from the range, you know, it's a volley. It, it was just sublime and just, she saw it all the way. And the minute hit her foot, you knew it was going in. And it was, you know, it's, um, you know, and I, I said it, I think at the time, any, any player, male or female, that's a serious technique to have in your locker. Um, and she just has it and she has the vision and the, the capacity to execute it. Um, it was a beautiful goal. And, you know, we were probably spoiled because a couple of minutes later, Caitlin Ford scored one herself. That wasn't too bad. You know, she just left it, opened up the space and she hits one herself fairly from a fairly similar range. Um, and really, those two goals were probably the genuine difference between the two teams in the first half. There's just that bit of quality. Um, but um, but yeah, no, it was great to see um, the Irish girls in that game. And obviously, um, you know, just the standards that we can aspire to in this country, um, you know, that, you know, the women's game here, like I said, is growing. I know the clubs are, are making massive strides um, and it's a pillar in the FAI's um, strategy, which is so important. Um, but we need that follow through. We need to see your teams playing in the, the top tiers of women's football. So if not the top tier, then certainly the second tier when it comes into place. But um, that has to be the aspiration and that has to be the challenge. But um, it, was a, it was a good game. It, you know, 4-0 was probably a little harsh on, on Liverpool. 3-0 certainly was a half-time. It was just quality. Um, but it was great to see Leanne Kiernan as well flying now. She's having an unbelievable season. Yeah, she's goals. been very, very prolific, mm. yeah. She has, and she, you know, she had, she struggled so much with injury when she was at West Ham. And to be fair to Matt Beard, when he when he moved from West Ham, he went to Bristol as the interim manager. And then when he went to Liverpool, he, he took uh, Katie or he took um, Leanne Kiernan up with him. And um, and to be fair to her, she's got her fitness up. She You can see her strength and her power is developing. Um, and Liverpool are reaping the rewards for it because and she had, a like I said, an unbelievable chance to level the game at 1-1. Um, you know, 1v1 with a goalkeeper and, and she just it just drifted a little while it just drifted wide for her but um but yeah she and to have her back is a great option for Vera Powell as well um with with the games that the women's team have coming up later on this year 
and uh, Paul also involved in Liverpool. Uh, we, myself and Jim were, just, were chatting about it yesterday, but Queen Keller, of course, which is now the Queen Cup final. I think we have mm-hmm. to we have to describe it as now. I I didn't know beforehand that you were a Chelsea fan, so I'll have to apologise for that first. But um, Queen's performance, obviously, we're going to be selfish and just look at it from the Irish point of view. Um, it's I suppose it's the narrative you kind of want um, because. Obviously, it goes to penalties and it works out so perfectly that nobody nobody decides they're going to save a penalty. So it's up to Quivin then and Kepa to uh, to decide things. Unfortunately, from an Irish perspective, it's the Cork man that won. There were so many elements to his performance, Raf, that were just mildly impressive. I think when you analyse the, the 120 minutes and, and the way the game worked out, his shot stopping was superb. Uh, some of the point blank stops that he made, think back to the Christian Pulisic chance, particularly in the first 10, 15 minutes. The reactions were so quick to, to get his hands up into the right areas to, to actually prevent the shot from going in. And then just his all-round command, commanding of his, of his penalty area, you can see that Van Dijk and Matip are so comfortable with him. And, and they trust him. And, uh, you know, Lisa was speaking earlier about Brian Marup and Derry and being asked to play out with his feet. Well, Liverpool is absolutely that case as well. And he's asked to clip balls into fullbacks. He's asked to play out through centre-halves. He has to deal with a lot of pressure from opposition. And he just deals with it so gracefully. He never looks as if he's flustered. And you can just tell by his, his facial expressions and his body language that he just looks like somebody who's in complete control of his game, has complete confidence in himself. And uh, there was one piece as well that I really liked. Is it was a, it was almost like a diagonal ball, and he's come out of his of a six yard box to collect it. And sometimes you don't see that with keepers; they can be a bit tentative when it comes to coming out. But his overall presence around around the penalty area was superb. And then to cap it all off, the the strike for the penalty was mm. was so plush and so clean. Um, I was actually I was delighted for him. I really really was because being a number two goalkeeper can't be easy. You have to spend. 99% of, of your time looking in and, and biding your time and waiting for your chance. And the, the one thing that you say about Quiven Kelleher, whether it's been in the Champions League or in the League Cup, particularly over the last 12, 24 months, his performance has been superb. And that's reflecting what Klopp says about him. He came out and said he's the best number two in the world. And at this moment in time, it's, it's hard to argue with that point. But just the character of, of the man, uh, the way he goes about his business, he's so understated. It's it's hard not to like Weaving Kelleher. And uh, I think everybody in Ireland was was delighted for him on the weekend, how it worked out. Yeah. And also, I suppose we've been talking that long that the sunlight, and this is only for people who are actually going to be watching this podcast, the sunlight has gone from um, hiding away in a corner to me trying to, it's kind of landing on my face the whole yeah. time. And I'm moving around on camera to get out of the way. Um, so, which is probably a good time to wrap it before it actually gets into my eyes and uh, potentially causes me uh, yeah. possible damage. So, uh, before we do that, though, the fixtures this weekend. There is Shelburne versus Bohemians in the Women's National League. That's at two o'clock. Also at two o'clock, DLR Waves versus Treaty United. And then three five o'clock kickoffs at Lone Town versus Wexford Utes, P Mount United versus Sligo Rovers, and Cork City versus Galway. So that's all on Saturday to look forward to. And in the SSE Artricity League Premier Division, it's St. Patrick's Athletic versus Shamrock Rovers on the Friday, Drada United versus UCD, Shelburne versus Derry City, Finn Harps versus Bohemians, and then on Saturday, Sligo Rovers versus Dundalk. And in the First Division, uh, also on the Friday, uh, Cove Ramblers versus Treaty United, Galway United versus Waterford, Wexford versus Athlone. And on Saturday, we finally get to see Longford Town when they take on Cork City. So I think Jim and Lisa and Paul, that... Pretty much brings yeah. us to an end. Yeah, thanks, Raf. Just quickly, Raf, I see the draw has been made for the Women's FA Cup quarterfinals. It's just been made this morning. Uh, just go through Chelsea against Birmingham City, Arsenal against Coventry United, Manchester City against Everton, Ipswich against West Ham. So that's that was just made there this morning. So. So that's uh, that's one to look forward to, of course. But anyway, everyone, uh, thanks a bit thanks. for taking the time thanks, to come on. And uh, we'll be back with next week's soccer podcast next Monday. So Paul, Lisa, Jim, thanks a bit. Thanks, Raph. See you later.